0: All right, hello, and welcome back to another episode of the Chase Thomas Podcast, boys and girls, where I am still the aforementioned Chase Thomas, and I am coming to you live from Knoxville, Tennessee. Uh, On today's edition of the Chase Thomas Podcast, I'll be joined by the Ringers, Jonathan Sharks, the excellent NBA writer for theRinger.com. So we talk, you're not going to believe this, folks, all things NBA. Uh, We hit on a multitude of things within the NBA. So, for instance, like what he's been watching, why the Grizzlies have been so much fun to watch, and why they're uh, for real down the stretch here. Uh, Which story has him most intrigued uh, across the NBA? Uh, How J.B. Vickerstaff has figured it out in Cleveland. Why Evan Mobley can be the best player on a contender. Uh, The top three picks in the 2021 draft check-in, Jalen, Cade, and uh, Mobley. Um, Then we put... Uh, Jonathan in uh, Travis Schlink's shoes, and uh, how does he fix Atlanta if he were in charge of the Hawks? What did the Hawks do? uh, Why Ben Simmons might not be the cleanest fit? Uh, What to make of the Hawks? What they can do going forward? Uh, Frank Vogel's uh, coaching job in LA this season, and what happens there? And then, of course, uh, De'Aaron Fox. And uh, what makes him so interesting for Sacramento and what uh, the King should ultimately decide to do with him and Halliburton and that fit as the traded line approaches with Heald and Barnes being out there. But De'Aaron Fox, what happens there? All that and more on today's edition of the Chase Thomas podcast with the Ringers, Jonathan Charks. Um, Before we get started with today's program, though, I would like to mention how you can support this very program it starts with leaving a quick five-star rating and a review on apple podcasts or spotify if that is your preferred app of choice for listening to this very podcast go visit chasemostpodcast.com for access to all of my previous episodes and make sure to subscribe to the sports renaissance man newsletter it's me sports renaissance uh, again sports renaissance com. type in your email that easy do it today uh as always you can email this very program uh any questions comments uh mailbag stuff for any of uh the main main guests on the weekly program chase thomas podcast at gmail.com again that is chase thomas podcast at gmail.com and follow me on twitter at chase double underscore thomas and like the facebook page at facebook.com slash chase thomas writer all right uncle darren let's ride chase thomas podcast. the chase thomas
1: podcast um <laughs> my nephew needs me the court. see i hate i already hate it i hate it
0: all right welcome back to another episode of the chase thomas podcast where i am still the aforementioned chase thomas and i am joined now by the ringers jonathan charks jonathan how are you sir
1: I'm good. You know, your your uh, newsletter is called the Sports Renaissance, man. It's true. Like, you know, I when I see your podcast, you're always talking about every sport. It's kind of incredible. I don't know how you can track everything.
0: <laughs> Thanks, man. No, I, uh, I I didn't come up with the Sports Renaissance name myself. Uh, another writer, I think he's at the Action Network now, uh, did this, like, 15 podcast that you should go check out and subscribe to. And uh, your boss was right above me on this list on Medium. And uh he referred to me as a sports renaissance man and I just was like, Hey, there's something I could run with that. I hadn't thought about that, but uh, like you said, I do uh I do like to keep up with just about everything. But I think that's one of the fundamental differences with me versus a lot of I think sports writers now is just most of your colleagues they they specialize in one particular sport, yourself included, and uh there's not many folks who who dive in and wanna be as uh aware and uh just knowledgeable about everything. But I like knowing a little bit about a lot rather than knowing everything about one particular thing. Does that make sense? Yeah, it's
1: nice to talk to a throwback. <laughs>
0: I've never I didn't consider myself A throwback I guess I really am There's not a lot of like Shows like this I guess I guess this is kind of A a different thing But it's also uh, Kind of unnerving When I do like A basketball podcast Like this with you Because It's just There's You know what the quality is And you know where other people Can go with Different NBA pods And like During their NBA show uh, dunked on all kinds of stuff. There's all kinds of great stuff uh, all across the internet. So it's, uh, you're like, should I even attempt to dip my toes into all these different waters when there is elite level hyper-focused coverage across the board too? I mean, why not,
1: right? Life is short. Do <laughs> so what makes you happy. That's my philosophy.
0: Yeah. I mean, that, I mean, that really is, is like do the show that you want to do and do, write about the stuff you want to write about. And I imagine that's just how you are with basketball. You're like, that's, that's what I like doing. And I like writing about scripture and I like writing about, the books that I read, you just you you kind of follow follow the same uh, ethos, right? I
1: think so. I mean, if you are interested in it, then your audience certainly won't be, right?
0: Mm-hmm. I think that's that's probably true. Uh, well, don't forget, folks. You can find uh, Jonathan and all his great work at TheRinger.com. dot com. So go subscribe or go check out TheRinger.com dot com today if you have not already done so. Uh, go follow him on twitter at jonathan charks and uh yeah read all of his great nba content along with all the other good folks at the ringer.com um and don't forget that sports renaissance man newsletter that he's talking about yeah you can subscribe sports renaissance man.substack.com um charks i want to start with this week in basketball who have uh who have you found yourself watching the most outside of the mavericks of course
1: I mean, I think the Grizzlies, for sure. Hmm. I wouldn't even say it's this week. They've been maybe the big story in the NBA in the regular season. I think a lot of times in the NBA, you know, you can talk about KD or LeBron, but those guys are ultimately defined by the playoffs, right? When you've been in the league a certain amount of times, what those guys do, or Steph even, in the regular season, doesn't really necessarily mean all that much in the big picture. Whereas, like, a young up-and-coming team like the Grizzlies... That's what's exciting with the regular season, is watching those teams make the leap. They've been killing it all year. They've been killing it more in the last week or so.
0: The Grizzlies are fascinating, and I didn't put them on our rundown, but like the one thing that I just struggle with, and I, Ben Golliver does this with the Bulls a little bit on the GOAT podcast, another great NBA show, but it's something that I think about with them where people are talking themselves into, Oh, well they're ahead of schedule. So they should be able, like we have to talk about whether or not they're contenders. And then it's like, well, no, the Suns, and the warriors and just like, they're, they're not there. Right. Like you don't, do you see a path where with the way the roster is currently constructed and where you see the trajectory for a lot of their important pieces? Like there's, there's a path for them to actually contend for a title with, multiple guys who are top 15 NBA players. Because as of right now, it's still still just one. And it seems pretty pretty unlikely that this group could get to that point, right?
1: I will say this. If last year was proof of anything, it's you never really know, right? Mm-hmm. No one thought there was a pass to the Suns. And then Anthony Davis went down in the first round. I think, what we did play this. Kawhi went down this mm-hmm. third in the second or third round. Everything just kind of, oh, then Jamal Murray went down. Like, everything lined up for them. So you just never really know, right? Like, it's very easy to war game out at the start of the season. Oh, there's Giannis, there's LeBron, there's KD, there's Suns. But these things can always be flexible. I mean, I think if I'm Memphis, am I thinking about a title? No. Like, they got to win a first-round series first. First things first. And then we'll see where you go from there.
0: If they got matched up with the Mavs, would you like the Mavs matchup there? Or do you think... uh they would, they would clean up against Dallas?
1: Dallas has been a very, very tough team to figure out because they have a new coach. And then their best three players have played like uh, Luka, Porzingis, and Brunson have played like 15 games together. And it definitely kind of feels like Dallas. They were kind of talked to league two years ago when Memphis is now. And now they're kind of yesterday's news. But, I mean, I think if you have Luka Doncic, you always have a chance in play playoff series.
0: Absolutely. Um, Is there one story in particular that has you the most intrigued at the moment?
1: Uh, Beyond the Grizzlies, um, I guess the other team I love this year is the Hornets. Same Hmm. kind of thing. I love watching young teams on the rise. I kind of had them pegged as this year's Hawks for the season. I think that's kind of played out. They've been, they're so much fun to watch. I'd say they're even more fun to watch than Memphis. Maybe not quite as good, but more fun to watch.
0: Is there anything in particular about their play style that, that stands out to you?
1: Yeah, I mean, LaMelo and Miles yeah. Bridges. Those guys, they're just running and gunning, man. It's great. <laughs> like, they're just two young guys, and they're playing at full speed all the time. I love both those guys. They move the ball a lot. I think, like, Memphis, to me, you compare—I got Memphis, Charlotte. You compare them to Boston, where Boston has two young guys who both want to shoot every time. And it's like, that can work, sure. But I also find that as fun as a guy like LaMelo who moves the ball and makes everyone... It's just more fun to play with, more fun to watch, in my opinion.
0: Has LaMelo been better than what you expected him coming out of college or coming out of uh, Australia?
1: Yes, as a scorer. Cause I think we all knew he, he was an elite point guard, crazy handles, crazy passing. The question was, could he score well enough to be a primary option, especially as a jump shooter? He's been a better shooter than we think. He's shooting like 90% from the free throw line this season, which is incredible. So I think he's been better in the, his weaker areas. I expected his strengths to be his strengths, but really he has fewer weeks than I thought he would have.
0: What if the Warriors had taken him? Do you think about that at I
1: mean, all? Of course. I mean, that's like, just hanging out there like yeah it'd been so much fun because he actually does fit with how they play too it,
0: mm.
1: it would have been so much fun to watch. it feels like that was the move golden state actually could have been a dynasty for the like next 10 years but i think when Melo's happier went out this way though i think he's happier to have his own team
0: yeah that's true but it's a it's a great what if especially if like you said this does not uh, keep going year over year and um but it's hard to thread that needle um the hornets are just they're just in a weird spot, though, because I think the Hawks, you mentioned that they were this year's Hawks, but you don't think LaMelo has the same upside as Trey at this point. Do you think he can get to what Trey is now in terms of on-court value?
1: Yes. It's different, though. Mm. He's so much taller. Yeah. He's, he doesn't shoot as much as Trey, but I think in a lot of ways it makes it easier to build around him. Because he's more. I mean, Trey's a great passer too, but Trey gets his shots up. Like, mm-hmm. you know, it is kind of what it is. And Lamelo is six foot eight, so you can't target him on defense. So I think I, I'd actually take him above Trey. I think. Personally. Oh wow! But I, I'm always going to lean more towards the taller players. That's just my personal opinion
0: yeah i uh i don't know the the hawks defense is just a, a mess in and of itself but our guy that you and i have texted about anyaka and uh he's coming and uh the the return of and and just what he did with Giannis last night very excited uh to see what he does going for but i don't think he alone can uh can fix the hawks defense and where their season's going i think i saw today like basketball reference gives the hawks like a three percent chance uh when they in there if you do that little calculator on the website of making the playoffs still which is just Preposterous! Like at uh, that, making the
1: play-ins or making the playoffs.
0: The playoffs, just as a whole.
1: So that would mean, because like it's weird now with the play-ins. Mm-hmm. Like, are they saying they have a three percent chance of making the play-ins, or that if they made the play-ins, they only have a three percent chance of actually getting the playoffs? I think oh, it's right? that.
0: I think it's just like when you keep playing it out, they have like a three percent chance of making the play-in and then making the playoffs.
1: I'd probably give them a higher chance than that. I do think you know in a one-game win or go home scenario, they probably, I mean, I still believe in their talent. I think they can punch above their weight, but we'll
0: see, obviously. I mean, there's going to be some interesting uh, trade deadline stuff with them. I I don't know. Nothing would surprise me with Atlanta at this point. Not a thing that they do at the deadline would surprise me. Um, We're going to take a quick break for a message from our sponsors, but we will be right back. All right, we're back here with Jonathan Charks of com to talk all things NBA. Jonathan, um, the biggest story, I think, outside of the Grizzlies right now is the Cleveland Cavaliers. Um, what, in your estimation, has J.B. Vickerstaff figured out in Cleveland this year? Well, I mean, I
1: think the biggest thing is they got really lucky in the draft. Mm-hmm. I thought Evan Mobley was the best player in this draft, and they got him a 3 and he's been even better than I thought he would be. He's been incredible. I think mean, number one is that. Number two, where you have to give Bickerstaff a ton of credit is he went with these supersized lineups. Because, like, on paper, it's like, okay, we're going to start Jared Allen, Evan Mobley, and Lori Markinman, three seven-footers. That's just not done in the NBA anymore. And no one really thought that would work. But Vickerstaff said, hey, forget their heights. Look at their skill sets. Actually, it a shooter – it almost doesn't matter if you talk about it shoot threes anyway, so it's irrelevant. And then Mobley can cover for him on defense. And Mobley's a good enough passer at the four that even though him and Jared Allen give you great spacing, they can still make it work. So he just – he really – I think he did a fantastic job of looking beyond the kind of like um, 30,000 foot uh, – these guys are all seven-footers. He looked past that, saw their skill sets, saw the best way they could all complement each other. And he went with it. He really defied a lot of the conventional wisdom about the NBA in 2022. And he's reaping the rewards for it.
0: How much of it do you think is just the subtraction of Colin Sexton?
1: Well, I wasn't going to say that
0: just mean. (laughs) But it's not even mean. It's like we don't have anything against Colin Sexton, the person. It's just that, like, that's the elephant in the room that I think about a lot with this group. And when you watch them, you're like, I think that's just him just being out is a net positive. It's kind of like Cam in Atlanta where it's like it just was never going to work figuring him out with this group. And him just not being around, I think, is a net positive for the team unfortunately.
1: I mean, I think a lot, I think the logic of it makes sense, right? Okay. You've got an undersized guard, not really a passer, doesn't play a ton of defense, used a ton of possessions, scores a lot, but he's not passing the ball. So it's hard for anybody else to get him a flow of the offense. And then you replaced him with Rubio for a long time. I guess now Rondo, like he's been out lately. So yeah, like Colin section to me, always profiled as a sixth man who was, made into the lead guard and now without him there you're seeing darius garland take a big step forward i think that's the big thing it's like sexton not being there has allowed us to become darius Garland's team he's been great he's just an actual point guard Sexton is not and giving him the ball has allowed everybody else yeah so i just think having him gone and allowed darius garland to take a big step forward he's just more of a point guard than sexton he's way more of a distributor and having removing Sexton from that mix is allowed lot to take a step forward. He's been great this
0: season. Yeah, I just... What is it about Garland now? Like, what have you seen? Like, what is he doing differently that puts him on the all-star status? Because he was always able to shoot, and he, I love his three-point moon ball, but, like, what uh, what is it about his game that's it, that he is polished to the point where he is he's on another level? What uh, in-game action is he doing that you're like, okay, he's, he's figured this out?
1: Well, it's funny you ask that because I think I was talking the other day about the uh, most improved player. And I think most players, they'll say, I didn't actually get better. I was just given a better opportunity. (laughs) You know (laughs) what I mean? Yeah. I think he would say, I was the same player I was, but now I'm the lead guard instead of being the secondary guy. I think that, I mean, that's the biggest thing. Like, not only is he now the lead guard in Cleveland, which he wasn't before, now he's passing to much better players. He's playing with, uh, with Evan Mobley having more, Jared Allen's a year better. They have more chemistry now, him and Jared Allen, after trading four at the deadline. And the number I look at, a lot of guards, really look at a lot of players, I think it's two-point percentage. Because these days, people take so many threes, field goal percentage is kind of a misleading statistic, right? Because not even Steph is going to shoot as well from three as he does from two, right? So you kind of have to separate out. And Garland's a ton of threes. So his improvement is a little hidden. You look at his field goal percentage, but I'm looking at his two point percentage. He's shooting 54 percent the two. That's a massive jump forward, and that's the big thing. He's just much more efficient this year. He just finishes better, getting getting to his spots. He's more comfortable. I think that's probably a part of it as well.
0: Huh? Do you think it's so? What is the trajectory? How? What? When you look at the the point guard groupings and the young guards and lead guards on on great teams, like can he get? to where Jaw is right now. Can he be what Kyrie was years ago? Like where do you see him at in like the terms of just ranking best guy, like lead lead ball handlers?
1: It's interesting. Um I don't know. I've always liked garland but I never really saw him in that Trey Young John Moran class. And for as well as he's playing now, I probably wouldn't put him in that category. I don't think he's dynamic enough on offense. He's obviously pretty small they're limited defensively. I think it's your Cleveland what you're really thinking is he doesn't have to be that guy because we've got Evan Mobley, we've got our franchise center footer, and Garland's going to play off him the rest of his career. That is really exciting for Cleveland.
0: Hmm. So, do you think this is gonna this is sustainable? That like, if you had to be clairvoyant, Jonathan Sharks for a second, like, do you see Cleveland? Being in the top four in the East come playoff time?
1: Um, I don't know about top four. The East is pretty loaded at the top. I think the definite playoff team, I think they can probably stay in that top six is the goal for them this year. Because you got, like, I guess Brooklyn KD's out again, but you got Miami, you got Milwaukee, Chicago, everything good. I think top four is probably a little ambitious, but I think the goal is staying in the top six.
0: Do you like the long term fit of Allen and Mobley?
1: I mean, I was very skeptical of it, but now I'm kind of at the point where I think Evan Mobley's so good it almost doesn't matter. Like he just, everyone, he can fit anywhere basically. He's I, like to me, I I think he's gonna be one of the best players in the NBA in the years.
0: Wow. So what what do you think is the biggest skill that you're most excited about? Makes Mobley different? Like what about him? Just you when you were in the pre-draft process that you were like, this is why I. Think he's probably the number one overall pick over Jalen Green and Cade Cunningham.
1: I think the thing with Mobley that I really, really was interested in last year is I'm I'm a big believer in seven foot guards. When you have a seven footer who can handle the ball, pass the ball, and move like a guard, to me that's like that's the player I want to build my team around. You know, not that he's these kind of players, but it's this mold of. Anthony Davis, Giannis, Kevin Durant. I think if I have a seven-foot guard, I like my chances. And then with Mobley, to me, I just thought the, the physical tools, his ability to see the game at a really high level, and his overall skill level, to me said this guy would be number one for me in most drafts, not just last year. And the number with Mobley I thought was most interesting. So he was the Pac-12 player of the year, the Pac-12 freshman of the year and the Pac-12 defensive player of the year. There's only been one other player who's in from one of the top five conferences who's hit all three boxes. You want to guess who that player was?
0: I don't know. Who Who is it?
1: Anthony Davis.
0: Oh, man. Oh, man. Okay. So pretty high. Does he have Anthony Davis' ceiling? Do you think he'd be better than the best we've seen of Davis? I
1: think... I think different. I think he's. I don't think he's as good a scorer as AD was, but he's a much better passer. Hmm. He's, to me, he's kind of more like a Jokic mixed with the Davis. He's got some Draymond Green in his game, some Bam Adebayo. It's just talk, talking about seven-foot guards, there's not a lot of comparisons for them. This is a new kind of player. That's one in the last 15 or so years we've even seen seven-foot guards. So each one of them is different in his own way. But I think he has a chance to be that caliber of player, if not quite Anthony Davis. He's a different kind.
0: Were you at all nervous when Rubio went down that that was it because of how well he was playing?
1: A little. I mean, he was great. He was yeah. phenomenal from this year. And it's been really impressive how they kept rolling without him.
0: He, Yeah. And the Rondo stuff, it's like, yeah, we'll see what happens. But uh, I don't think he can replace what they uh, what they lost in Rubio. Um do any of the top three picks from the 2021 NBA draft profile as the best player on a team that wins a title? It sounds like you've got Mobley on that list. Do you think Cade or Jalen still have that upside?
1: I wasn't as high on either of them as most people. I think they're probably the second best player on a title team. Hmm. I think Mobley to me is the one that could be the best player.
0: What, is, what worries you about Jalen Green the most in Houston? That you've seen? What worries you most about his long-term star trajectory?
1: Well, I think the main thing with Jalen Green is, okay, you can score the ball, but can you do anything else? Are you a passer? Are you a good defender? I think it's just really hard to be the best player on the league team, and all you can do is score. I've not seen a ton of playmaking ability. To me, i put him more in the kind of category of a Bradley Beal, Devin Booker, Zach Levine type, which is a very, very good player. I think he's very talented but I'm not sure that player can be the best player on the league team
0: do you think he's been coached well this year
1: Um, I think it's been a tough situation I yeah. think the coach was put in a tough spot there's a lot of young guys I think it's very difficult to develop two guards simultaneously hmm. We you saw that in Cleveland Yeah. When Sexton went down Farland kind of rose up and you've got Kevin Porter there and Jalen Green and I think young guards they're just trying to figure out who they are in the NBA they really can't worry about like how do they fit into a team, how do they make a team better, how do they make their teammates better? Because they're still trying to figure out how do they make themselves better, and it's just hard to have both two of those guys in the same team at the same time.
0: Put yourself in Travis Schlink's shoes down here in Atlanta. How do you how do you fix them at the de- ahead of the deadline?
1: <laughs> Oof, man. I still I wouldn't panic. Just as I would not have panicked last year, I think. I would count on DeAndre Hunter getting back. He really has been the same player since been Hurt. I expect him to be a lot better going forward. Um, Capella, I don't know. He's up and down this year. John Collins has been good. herter has been the kinds of same. I mean, I would love Ben Simmons. I think if you could get Trey Young and Ben Simmons to get on the same page, I would love that. I don't know if they have the piece of a going to want to acquire Ben Simmons. If there was a way to build a trade, I would use all – if you're going to make a big trade, I would try to get Benson. I think he'd be a great fit for Trey. I think mean, he could be the Draymond Green to Trey's death in offense.
0: The, the thing about Draymond, and I think about that too, and I'm just like on the floor, people overthink it of like Trey off the ball. And it's like I don't think Trey's the type of player that would be all that hurt uh, offensively playing off the ball. I think he'd be okay. Um, I don't think his shooting is quite still what people think it is. I think he's still a career 34% three point shooter, but, um, a lot of those looks would be improved, uh, playing next to Ben Simmons. So I think he'd get a lot more open looks and just better looks as a whole instead of the Puget threes and a lot more of his deeper bombs that he probably wouldn't do as much, uh, with Simmons. But like the thing I might worry about with Simmons if you moved him for Collins, because it would at least take John Collins, is that like there's no leadership already on this team outside of Collins. And you remove him and you put Ben Simmons and Trey Young as your two leaders in this locker room and leaders of this team as a Hawks fan and as someone who watches a lot of Hawks games anyway, like that terrifies me. Like Draymond, like the comparisons, I get that, but it's like Draymond's still a leader. Draymond is still the engine that you can build around. And like, I don't think Ben Simmons is a leader and I don't think Trey is. And that's not even a slight at Trey. He's just not that guy. Like he's not going to be the vocal rah-rah Get everything together. Make sure they're all on the same page. That's not who he is. Which is fine. You can still win that way, but it's just not him. He's he's more in that hardened mold. And I just I would be terrified of putting those two as your your leadership figureheads together.
1: That's a good point. That's a really good point. And I think kind of what I was getting at in terms of I get them on the same page is Trey would have to give the ball up some to play with them. I don't think he really wants to do that. So I think the other option, I really believe in Hunter, Konglu, and Herder. I wouldn't necessarily mind as well with those guys around Trey and building for the long term. We talked about earlier, I think Okongwu can be a top a top center. He's way more skilled to think. He's a really good passer. He can play great defense. He's a good finisher. I wouldn't mind just like letting him, giving him the reins and telling him to go. Like, I think he's that good.
0: I mean he's great and I think Nkongwu is gonna be a star and he's someone definitely to build around. But they're they're just they're already pushed against the wall because of their spending last off season and they just they're in a tough spot. And also it doesn't help that Bogey is clearly not right and has been bad all year. Like him not being there, Hunter still dealing with injury stuff, but like I don't know. I I agree with you where it's like, it's kind of been the season from hell and you kind of want to roll this out and see what happens. But I think there is so much pressure, it seems like, around that situation. And like, because you made the Eastern Conference Finals that you can't afford to to go back uh, this much. But it's just... It's complicated. Atlanta's is in such a complicated position. And I think Schlink, his comments on 92.9 uh, last week kind of emphasized that, that just like, I, I don't know. He, he's in a tough spot because Simmons, I understand, but I still don't think Daryl Morey's taking John Collins and a bunch of picks. Like, I don't, I don't know. Like my biggest thing is just that like, if I move Collins, or I really shake up this roster and I get rid of a bunch of depth for uh, a star or a tier two star next to Trey. That person better be a leader. It better be like a, it better be someone who just is like, hey, this 28th defensive rating, that's over. We're not doing this anymore. This is, this is done. We are, we are busting our tail. We are getting back uh, to what we need to do on that side of the floor because it doesn't matter that we're number two in offense uh, if we can't stop anybody. Like, I don't, I, I just need one of those players or that player to have that same kind of thinking. That's just where my head's
1: at. I guess I got a question for you as someone who watches the Hawks board, and I do. Do you think the Collins thing is becoming untenable? I know he had the quotes recently about wanting a bigger role. I don't think like that role is there for him. Can that keep working, or does he have to go eventually? He's just tired of being there.
0: What's funny about Collins is he's like the most likable player on the team, and he's, he. I think he really does love being a Hawk and playing in Atlanta, but the offense is number two. In the NBA, offense has not been a problem. So when he talks about wanting a bigger role, it's like what what team's going to look at this and go, "Yeah, you're you're our number one, or you're number two. Who in today's NBA is doing that? Who's who's backing up the Brinks truck to make or just hand you the keys? to their offense and are like, let's see what happens. Like, are you looking for a Jeremy Grant type situation in Detroit where you're like, Hey, I can do that. Well, guess what? You lost a lot of games, John Collins, like, do you, or Jeremy Grant? Like that's, it didn't work. Like, and now they're moving on with Cade and it's Cade's team now and all that. But like, I don't know. I think if I'm John Collins, I I don't think think he has a lot of leverage here.
1: Yes. (laughs) I think the answer is yes. That first question. Well, people forget, like, it's fun to have the ball. It's fun to shoot. Like, but it's, it's not, not better it? for the
0: team, uh, at least offensively.
1: Well, then that's why I'm asking you the yeah. question. Because that was the thing with Kim, too. Where it was like, Kim, we're not giving you a bigger role. That's just not happening. And he's like, well, I want a bigger role. And it's like, well, all right, then we're going to trade you if it's not happening here.
0: Yeah, I mean, I guess it does eventually become untenable, but the thing that cures it is if we are winning. Like, he was fine with everything last year in the playoff run. Like, if we're winning a bunch of basketball games, and you were winning 50-plus games year-over-year year with Trey and Collins and company, then I don't. I think he gets over it. But when you're losing like this, then that kind of stuff props back up. So, I, I don't know. It depends. I would say yes, if they don't figure it out, but if they do and make the playoffs and really figure it out on defense, then um maybe not I I don't know uh we'll see I I hope so but I am like a like the Jalen Brown stuff is my ideal guy like I would do whatever Boston needed if I'm Schling to get Jalen Brown in this building like Jalen and Trey is the the dream scenario for me that I just don't think will ever be able to come to fruition because I think those two would be perfect he is yeah he went to Wheeler yeah I it would be great dude's a leader get away like him next to trey i still like that's the that's the upside i'd be looking for if i'm going to clean house on the depth and the picks and we have so many picks that like i would just keep calling uh brad stevens what's it going to take like Jalen brown's the answer and i just don't know if you can force force Jalen brown uh to atlanta yeah
1: that'd be great but yeah it takes two to tango
0: it does take two to tango um frank vogel might not be long for la after winning a title. Um has he done a bad coaching job in LA this season? How much of it would you put on Frank Vogel?
1: Very little. But mm-hmm. That really matters, obviously. You know? <laughs> <laughs> it's like it's funny sometimes. You get people will cover and they'll say, "Oh, it's so unfair to Frank Vogel." Yeah, but Frank Vogel knew that. Right. Know? When you work, I always tell people: when you work for LeBron James, which is what he does, you're on a year-to-year contract mm-hmm. that can be that can be cut anytime. Players, coaches, GMs, the whole franchise, everyone's year-to-year but LeBron. And if LeBron is part then you're done. And I think Bogle's done a pretty good job, actually. I think playing LeBron to five is a great idea. I think mean, that's pretty much saved their season. If they hadn't done that, if they hadn't benched DeAndre and Dwight, I think they'd be done right now. Playing LeBron to five is kept the float until AB can be healthy. I mean, I don't know what they expected Vogel to do, I think they expect him to fall on the sword. That's probably going to happen at some point.
0: What's the coolest part about uh, LeBron at the five? What is what is that unlocked in his game this year?
1: Well, I just think it's giving him more space. Like LeBron is getting older, right? He's year nineteen. He needs LeBron's always been a player who can dominate around the paint so much. He always does better with more space. And it's just hard for LeBron. I mean, I mean it's hard to be able to playing. Dwight Howard at the five, DeAndre at the five, AD at the four, and Russ at point. And like, what's LeBron even going to do? There's nowhere to go on the floor. He has to pull up the jump shot. And that's not the strength of LeBron's game. It never has been. So you play him at the five, and now he's just got all the space in the world to do his thing. Like, when he cuts the basket, there's no one in his way. He's wide open. So it just, I think playing LeBron at the five, it just allows him to have the same, more of an impact he yeah, when he was younger. He's playing in more
0: space, essentially. Interesting. Um, last thing I want to ask you about: De'Aaron Fox is the hardest guard who might be available uh, ahead of the deadline, or even this summer. That I just can't can't forecast where he should go because he's he's such an interesting player. The speed with which he plays, I the questions with him this year next to Halliburton, and I'm more of a Halliburton guy than I am a De'Aaron Fox guy, but I still like both individually i just don't think they're all that great of fits next to one another but if he's available and he's i just could he flip a contender like when you look around the league of who could use somebody like De'Aaron fox is he the one where it's like people are talking about beal or ben simmons or whoever but you're like oh you know if they added a guard a veteran guard like fox this could change a lot and that change the trajectory for this team a lot
1: It's tough because I think actually the Halliburton Fox thing was okay last year. But once they added Davion Mitchell, the rookie from Baylor this year, there were just too many cooks in the kitchen. There are too many point guards. No one is really comfortable. And I think for De'Aaron right now, what's going on is De'Aaron has always been the best player on his team. Go back to Kentucky, go back to high school. Now it's five years in Sacramento. It's always been De'Aaron's team. If he went to a contender, well, it wouldn't be De'Aaron's team anymore. That would require a massive adjustment process. I think this year you're seeing what that adjustment process looks like. We're okay, Sacramento's telling De'Aaron, hey, we're not going to build around you anymore. We still like you. We think you can be part of our team, but everything don't go to you anymore. You've got to become more of a team player, more of a complementary option. And that's been very hard for him he's having to rewire who he is as a player, change his game. And I think that's probably what he'll have to do eventually, regardless. But he's still very young. I think he's 24. He's in year five. It's going to take some time for him to change who he is as a player to play off someone else, because he's never had to do it before. So I don't think you really trade for De'Aaron Fox and think, he can push me over the top. It kind of goes back to what I was saying about the Houston guards, where, like, De'Aaron Fox is still figuring out who he is as a player and how he fits on a good team. He's always been the best player on a bad team. So I, especially at point guard and you have the ball in your hands, that he does. When you trade for De'Aaron Fox, well, right now with this version of Fox, you trade for him, it's now De'Aaron Fox's team, right? And I don't know that a is going to do that and say, okay, we wanted the ball to go to De'Aaron Fox. Like, so that's, that's the disconnect. And I... I, I my suspicion is it'll take him a few years to change who he is as a player. I think it's still more of a long term thing with him. I don't think CM is a guy who's gonna put the turn of the season.
0: If you're Daryl Morey, though, do you do you consider it if you can't get a tier one star that you're like, Okay, maybe Simmons for De'Aaron Fox and Filler? Like, do you like the Embiid-Fox dynamic? Because that's so I'd rather, different. I'd
1: rather have Halliburton, I think, if I was hmm. to trade Simmons.
0: Well, I think it's the money.
1: I think Halliburton... Halliburton or Harrison Barnes or something. Yeah. Like, you can make the money work. I'd rather do that. I don't know if you saw the report, though. There, there's a report out there that Maury wants to package Simmons for James Harden this summer. Yeah, I saw that. And that that's my guess. I don't think... I think Maury says if I get hail you know, Halliburton or Fox, I ain't one of the East. And if I'm not one of the East while I'm making this trade, I'll just I think he's got m b to buy in since this is being a transition year. But so he's like, Look, I'm trading Simmons this summer. I'm not trading him now, I don't really don't care. I think that's that's my guess to how it's gonna go.
0: Which is terrible like Embiid and buy like buying that just really bums me out because you can't have a transition year with Embiid right like the medical stuff you can't afford that you can't just be like we can't yada yada one of the seasons of of uh, Joel Embiid's prime
1: I think but for Embiid what Embiid is looking at is this is his first season crying about Simmons mm-hmm. like that's what I think is going on here I think Embiid is like, I don't want this guy around anymore. You know how like Simmons want to play with Embiid? I think it goes both ways. I think Embiid's like, I don't need this guy clogging up the floor not I want him to get to my spot and his man's doubling off and he's staying on me. I don't want him around. Like, I want to do my thing. I want to grow as a player. So for Embiid is saying, just keep him away from the team. I don't even care. I, he even said that, right? He said in an article an interview, the mm-hmm. BASIC after that, he had a big one. I can't remember who it was. He said, we everybody we need right now. I think Embiid looks at it like I can be better without um, Ben Simmons here. So let's just not have him around. But that's my suspicions to what's going on.
0: I just I don't know. You're you're playing with fire, burning a just burning an, an Embiid year. What's his par like? Almost thirty, I think it as this recording. Like I just when it ends, it ends quickly with Embiid, and it's going to be sure. devastating. And I'm not looking forward to but. that at all
1: i will say like mb don't think that way yeah it isn't like mb is thinking man my knees are shot you better trade for someone right now because i have one year left but that's, that's how he should how be looking at it. yeah but who's gonna believe that about themselves? you know i guess
0: <laughs> i would just pull him aside like i would just be like "Joel, i love watching you play basketball i love the idea of you uh going for a title but like this you cannot punt on any season in your prime right now. That is insane. You cannot do that. You cannot punt or just shut him down. If that's the case, then just don't let him play basketball anymore. Um, I don't know. Uh, it, it's complicated. Uh, Jonathan, this has yeah, been great. Say, oh, I yeah, go ahead.
1: Like, I'll say with M D and one thing to keep in mind, when you come about a player of Joel Embiid's caliber, he's ultimately the GM because getting someone to play with Joel Embiid is Joel Embiid talking to that person. By, by that, I mean James Harden. Mm. And Bede has to sell Harden on coming to Philadelphia. Maury actually is not that involved in that ultimately, right? The same way K. Diesel Harden coming to Brooklyn, and Bede, if it's not Harden, it, it's, it's Dame, it's Bradley Beal, or whoever, and Bede has to sell that person on coming to play with him. That's what the game is at the highest level. So, like, whatever Maury wants to do, ultimately, it's Joel Embiid's team, it's Joel Embiid's decision, and either a guy wants to play with Joel and be there, they don't. And that's what it, like, sometimes I think we give GMs too much. These guys are actually fairly limited. I mean, like, look what happened with Harden and Westbrook. Do you think Daryl Morey wanted to trade Chris Paul for Russell Westbrook? I really doubt it. Like, nothing about Russell Westbrook says it's a Daryl Morey kind of player. Yeah. Does that matter? No. It did not matter.
0: Hmm that's actually not even really talked about as like a a loser where it's like, don't worry. Never lose his trade. It's like, well, no, I think he lost that one. I think he lost the the Westbrook for Harden trade. I don't think that one was good. I
1: think they're still looking very good right now. That's for sure.
0: I think we can chalk that one up as a loss. I I think that's I think we're there. Um, Jonathan, what can uh, we check out from you at the ringer.com right now?
1: Yeah. So um, me and Kyle, man, we just launched a podcast on the ringer NBA show It's called upside high where we talk about players in their first few years in the NBA and in the upcoming draft class. So that comes out every Tuesday on the Linger NBA show feed.
0: All right. Well, go do that. Keep up the great work. I'll be listening and continuing to read your work. Uh, Man, thank you so much for making the time. I greatly appreciate it. Uh, You stay safe, buddy. And I will talk to you very soon.
1: Cool. Awesome.
0: All right. That'll do it for today's edition of the Chase Thomas podcast. Thank you again to the ringers, Jonathan Sharks, for coming on today's show to talk all things NBA. Give him a follow at Jonathan Charks and keep up with the good folks at the ringer.com. Uh, today, all kinds of great content over there, sports, pop culture, all that good stuff. Um, also, if you like today's Episode, and you like listening to Jonathan Sharks and I talk NBA on this very podcast? Make sure and leave the show a five star rating and a review on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever get your podcast Tell a friend, coworker, family member, whoever about the podcast and uh, why you like it and why they should listen. It'd be greatly appreciated. Uh, make sure to uh, follow me on Twitter at Chase double underscore Thomas. Like the Facebook page at facebook.com Chase Thomas Writer. Go to Chase Thomas today. Uh, all my episodes right there. Chasedmostpodcast dot Sports Renaissance Man, that's me. I'm the Sports Renaissance Man. Uh, Substack dot com. Type in your email every day. Uh, new stuff in your inbox. Sports Renaissance Man. Substack dot com. And uh, yeah, I think uh, I think that's everything. Oh yeah, email me for real. Email me. Chasedmostpodcast at gmail dot com. Again, that is podcast at gmail dot com. All right, new episode tomorrow. Uncle Derek, how'd I do?
1: Nicely done, nephew. Chase Thomas Podcast, hell yeah.